complete in Jesus. And we saw that to be complete in Jesus means that, first of all, the start, the beginning, is that because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, we have a new life in Jesus, that we're righteous in him. Secondly, that we're given this spiritual power that enables us to continue to face any trial or any struggle in our lives. And finally, we saw that in the finish, that at the end of our lives, you know, we would say the party isn't over, the party's just getting started, that we're going to be celebrating with our Lord Jesus Christ uh, forever and ever. And last week we talked about um, the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, that we're free from condemnation, free from guilt. And in our passage this morning, we want to look at the freedom that we have in Jesus. You know, freedom is something that we in America are particularly thankful for, whether it is, uh, and we look forward to freedom. Right? I mean, uh, we're always looking forward to like when we're going to be even more free, like uh, uh, when I move away from school uh, to school or when I'm working for a startup or I finally paid off you know, my debts and, and you know, I'm free. Freedom's a good feeling and, and there's a lot of things that, uh, that we want to do with our freedom. And maybe our first instinct is of freedom is to do the things that we were not able to do before, or maybe not allowed to do before. And I remember when I first moved out for college, uh, my first newfound freedom, what did I do? I bought a box of Captain Crunch and a six pack of Mountain Dew. Why? Because in my family, we were not allowed to eat any cereal with sugar. And so we had to eat cornflakes, not just cornflakes, but generic cornflakes every morning. And we were not allowed to eat any, drink any soda at all. So it was always just water or juice, apple juice, things like that. And so like when I, when I moved out, literally, you know, I got packed up all my stuff and then on the way, stop off at Safeway, I'm buying a huge box of Captain Crunch and I'm going to eat it every morning for breakfast. And in fact, in the morning, I'm going to crack open a Mountain Dew and I don't care because what, I'm a rebel, right? You know. <laughs> but, you know, we think about that and we say, well, hopefully later on, we realize, or we come to a realization that freedom was went, meant for much more than just uh, indulging ourselves, just treating and enjoying ourselves. But freedom affords us the opportunity to accomplish great things, great things for God, things that, that we were never able to do before, that, that it places upon us a responsibility to do the best with the freedom that is given to us. And, and as we're complete in Christ, it means that we are free from the dominion of death, from the control of Satan, and from the sorrow of sin. And the good thing about God is that God in this freedom, you know, he doesn't force us to follow him. God doesn't dangle out, you know, salvation in front of us and say, well, you know, if, if you want to be loved, if you want to be accepted or approved, you know, you got to do this for me or you got to obey God's word, you got to do this or I'm going to take it away from you. God's not like that. He doesn't force us or compel us to do things for him. Rather, the Bible says that he gives us Jesus. He makes us righteous. He makes us free, and then he gives us the choice, the freedom to decide, you know, what will we do? What will we choose to do with our freedom? And this is the question that we want to bring before us this morning as we look at the scripture, and that is, what will you do with the freedom that you have been given in Jesus Christ? 
And we're going to really spend, you know, we're not going to spend like the rest of our time, you know, munching on Captain Crunch or drinking Mountain Dew. We want to do more, more with what God, this is, I mean, if Jesus died on the cross to bring me and give me this freedom, what does it mean to really live this out for what it was meant to be? So I'd like you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. And in reverence for the word of God, let's all stand together. And here we are reading from God's word from the book of Colossians. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism or the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions or puffed up, puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head of whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you are still alive to the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, uh, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings." These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in the promoting of a self-made religion and an asceticism and a severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And again, whenever we read Paul, there's always a lot of stuff that he says, and we want to really kind of unpack this and figure out what is Paul saying to us about our freedom in Christ. Now, in this passage, there's basically a a three-part structure. It's very easy to follow. Paul gives two dangers, two things that, that threaten our freedom, and then he ends with a rhetorical question that drives home uh, really the meaning or the impact of the freedom we have in Jesus. So when I say Paul gives two dangers, he's saying that there are choices that we can make that actually will bring us back under bondage. And Paul is saying, pleading with us, is saying, after God has done all these things to make you free, do not trade one form of slavery for another. And so in verse 16, we see the first threat to our freedom in Jesus Christ. And it says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And we see here that the first threat to our freedom in Christ is the spirit or a spirit of condemnation. Now, Paul says, do not pass judgment. And um, here, Paul is not saying that we are not allowed to distinguish between right and wrong. That, that's a duty of Christians, to be able to know what is right and what is wrong. Paul's writings speak very clearly that the truths of the Bible are moral absolutes and that it is our responsibility out of love to humbly and lovingly restore those who are caught in sin. So, but but the, the idea to pass judgment, what Paul is saying here, is the idea of separation. It's like separating the wheat from the chaff when Jesus talks about separating the sheep from the goats. And it's not just even about separation, but it's about separation uh, for punishment 
or for some form of condemnation. And so when Paul says, let no one pass judgment, he's saying, let no one separate you out for judgment, particularly on questions of food, drink, new moon, or Sabbath festivals. And Paul here is speaking particularly of uh, Jewish traditions and observances that were neither good nor bad. I mean, some Christians still chose to follow them. Some Christians preferred not to. But the practices themselves uh, didn't matter to God either way, one way or another. But in the case of the Colossians, there were outsiders, most likely uh, Jewish uh, in origin, and they were attempting to separate people to separate them according to uh, uh, what they did and what they didn't do. Uh, they were trying to cause division and judgment about you know, who is important to God or who is righteous before God or who is valued before God. And they would say things like, you, know, you, don't, you don't do these things? You don't go to these festivals? You, know, you must not be a very good Christian. Uh, or not, not as good as these other Christians. Oh, you know, they say, well, I saw you sneak a bite of unclean food. God knew about that, he would be really disappointed in you. See, the, the, this spirit of condemnation is kind of the root of what we would call, uh, what we refer to as legalism. A legalism is not about the presence of laws. It is not about uh, the idea of, of having laws and rules. I mean, even Jesus himself, he said that, that he is, is here to uphold the law. He will not break the law. He will fulfill the law. He even upheld the laws of Rome, human laws. Um, so, so legalism is not about laws and, and enforcing laws, but rather legalism is when people use laws and rules as a means, particularly man-made laws, as a means or a measure to achieve righteousness before God. This is very, very specific. If we're pleasing God, obeying God's word just because we love God, that's one thing. God wants us to do that. Or we fear God, that's one thing. God wants us to obey rules and laws. But if we're, we're obeying laws and rules because we think that we are earning righteousness from God, earning favor from God, making God think uh, better of me than others who do not do this, um, then we are becoming uh, legalistic. We, we, we're going from that stage of, of loving Jesus and pleasing God to a place where we're just trying to earn uh, righteousness from him, and that's not correct. If we happen to obey the Ten Commandments better than someone else that we know, um, that doesn't make us more righteous in the eyes of God. The Bible says very clearly we are all lawbreakers. We're all lawbreakers. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous, not one. So if, if, if Paul's saying, if we're going to use obedience to laws and regulations as a way of separating the, the righteous from the unrighteous, then basically you would have everyone on one side and Jesus on the other, right? I mean, that's basically what you would have um, because, you know, that's actually even the purpose of the law to say, uh, remind us when we think of the law, we're reminded, hey, you're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. We're not Jesus. You know, if we ever get tempted to, um, to look down on someone, to judge someone, or place ourselves above others in the eyes of God, we need to remind ourselves, or someone needs to remind us, your husband, your wife, remind you, 
hey, sorry, we love you, but you're not Jesus. See, in terms of righteousness, by deed and character, there's Jesus and then there's everybody else, all of us. See, in terms of, of, of the good news is that the Bible says that in Jesus, there is a new form of righteousness from God that is revealed apart from the law, that is through faith in Jesus Christ for everyone uh, who believe, for all who believe. And so it says here that this is the good news, this is the gospel. The Bible says that, that everyone who humbles himself admits that I am a sinner, uh, believes that Jesus rose from, died on the cross and rose from the dead for my sin, uh, chooses to follow him by faith. If we believe in the gospel, then, then we are made righteous, we are saved, we are, are, are part of a family of God where we are all um, accepted and loved before God equally. There's no, oh, I'm closer, I'm more righteous, or God likes me better than you, or God likes me better than this believer or whatever because of what we do. Um, this is the gospel. And because we are free in Jesus Christ, it says we do not pass judgment on each other. We do not pass judgment, and we do not let people pass judgment on us. Condemnation has no part in the life of a community that has freedom, that is free in Jesus Christ. Passing judgment, separating or singling people or groups out uh, because of particular actions that we don't agree with, uh, they create barriers. They separate us from other people. And, and when we do that, uh, what, be, what happens is, is we begin to uh, uh, take away hope and replace it with shame and guilt. Uh, we take away freedom and we replace it with additional burdens. It, it quenches the Holy Spirit because we, we're filled with, with pride. We begin to be filled with pride instead of compassion. Uh, when, when we pass judgment, it begins to destroy a community or at least make a community that is not very enjoyable to be in. And as we think about living hope and we say we want to be a, a church that really reaches out now to our community, uh, we're, we're, we're going to be reaching out to make disciples of others and that means that we're going to be inviting people to, to come and, and to be with us and to know Jesus. And these are people who may not uh, always conform with the things that, that we're sort of used to. We may we people that use a different language or different words to communicate, who, who, who consider a different type of dress or, or, or wear as, as appropriate or a different type of behavior as familiar or, or comfortable or a different type of smell or whatever we want to do, we say, hey, you know, these are the type of people that we're not kind of used to in church, uh, but God calls us to make disciples, not pass judgment, separation, uh, is not discipleship. And therefore, there's no room for condemnation when we're free in Jesus Christ. And so that's really the first threat, this idea of, of a spirit of condemnation, uh, whether it's between us or really between us and others who we are trying to reach for Jesus Christ. Even those who do not know Jesus yet, 
Uh, the only thing that makes them different is they do not know Jesus yet, really honestly, and we just want to love them, and we want them to come to know Jesus and to live a, to live a life that is honoring to him. Uh, so that's the first issue. Uh, the second area where uh, we, we, we uh, need to be careful of, or the second attack to our freedom, is the area of disqualification. And again, this is an interesting, what does this mean? If you look at verse uh, 24, Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or the worship of angels or going in detail about visions puffed up without reason uh, by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, meaning Jesus, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with a growth that is from God. Now again, this passage is very, very uh, hard to interpret because Paul talks about a lot of stuff that he doesn't really elaborate on that much. He talks about the worship of angels. And actually, there's even controversy this. Does this mean the actual worship of angels as you're worshiping an angel? Or is it the worship of angels, like the angels that, the worship that they give to God? You know, is this, what, it, what, 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 what was going on here where they talks about visions and asceticism? You know, what kind of religion were they practicing, these false teachers? Because it seems to include like, all sorts of stuff. And um, so, but, but what we really want to focus on in this passage is just really one word. And that is the idea to disqualify. It says, let no one disqualify you. What, how would they disqualify us? What does that mean? Well, disqualified is actually, in the Greek, it is a compound word. It's the word kata bra beo. Now, it's bra beo, in the Greek actually means to win a prize, to uh, receive a reward. And it's used often in the area of competition, of sports. And so when a person's running a race and they come in first place, they, uh, uh, which means they win the prize, they get the crown, they get the medal of the Olympics. That's a reward that is set aside for you because, you know, because of something that you've done and, and here's your reward. Kata, Brabeo, on the other hand, is not a good thing, but kata, in front of any word, kata means against. So kata brabeo means to decide against someone receiving a prize. And what this means is like, maybe you work hard, you ran the race, but if you kata brabeo, that means you are disqualified. Even if you came in first in that race, for whatever reason, you don't get the prize. And verse 18 says, these false teachers are trying to katabrabeo to uh, uh, disqualify you from the things that God wants to give you, from the blessings that God wants you to have. And he says, well, how do they do this? By insisting on asceticism. Asceticism is harsh treatment of the body where people say, I'm going to be more spiritual if I... You know, if I beat myself and, and, and suffer in the body to show how devoted I am to God, and that's going to earn me more righteousness. Or the worship of angels, which again, we're not sure what that is. Uh, going into detail about these visions, uh, this, this is, is some idea of some mystical experiences apart from Jesus, like some type of spiritual experience that's going to make me close to God, or, or puffed up by our sensuous mind, meaning gratifying our own uh, personal desires. And the false teachers, what they're trying to do is they're trying to lure the um, Colossians away 
from uh, the things that, that God wants to give them by, by, by helping, by saying, you need to do these things to, to win this race. And what Paul's saying here is that, that God has um, this boatload of blessing. I don't know how else to describe it. He has all of this blessing that he wants to give us in this life. He wants to bestow upon us as we live at our freedom in Christ. And he's saying, do not let anyone, do not let anyone cause you to use your freedom to just waste your life on stuff that just doesn't matter. I mean, we don't want that. I mean, wouldn't that be terrible? Spend your whole life working so hard with so much hope and you find out at the very end that you wasted your life on stuff it doesn't matter. That's what it means to be disqualified. See, freedom cuts both ways. God is not going to force us to do his will. He always gives us a choice. But if we choose to use our freedom to hold on to something other than Jesus, we will miss out on blessing. And I'm not talking about like reward blessing. I'm talking about even just blessing in this life. We uh, use our freedom. We want to use our freedom for something more for something that will make a difference in this world, uh, for something that has a great purpose in this world. And to me, that's blessing. Easter is coming. Ryan's talking about Easter is about, reminds us that Jesus Christ, God gave his son to die on the cross, to be wounded so that, that, that we can give the good news to the poor in spirit, that we can give hope to even the most cynical, that we can bring new life to the dead. And we are a part of this blessing that is right now now being poured out in this world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, hey, do not let, do not be disqualified from this great and beautiful blessing. And finally, um, God said, uh, Paul says, here's some final words about your freedom. If with Jesus you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why are you still alive? Why are you still alive in the world? Uh, why do you, as if you're still alive, submit to his regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. Uh, according to human precepts, these have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are no value, no value. They mean nothing in terms of stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And Paul is saying, hey, legalism. Legalism is, um, uh, uh, is like saying, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, right? I mean, that's legalism. Don't do this, don't do that. And he's saying, hey, if your goal is not to sin, I mean, if that's your goal, like I'm not, my, my goal in life is not to sin, then he says, eventually what you're going to end up doing is saying, okay, don't put anything in my mouth. Uh, don't touch anything. Don't, don't do anything. Just stay in my house. Don't touch anything in my house because you never know uh, it might cause me to sin. He's saying that's the legal, I mean, that's the, the, uh, like the, the logical end of, of legalism is we, we end up doing nothing. And that's kind of like what the, the Pharisees did, right? They set up all these fences, fences separating them from, uh, from other people, separating them from people who didn't obey the law, separating from them from who didn't obey the law very well, and they build up all these fences, and God says, you know, it doesn't even matter if you're the only one inside the fences. That's, just, and that's, that's more than enough to sin like crazy. It's not going to stop you. 
is not going to stop you at all from being, uh, it's not going to make you immune to the effects of sin. In fact, all you're going to be doing is blocking yourself off from the blessing of, of, of really living out of the love of Jesus Christ to the world. It keeps you from God's blessing because it keeps us from bringing God's blessing to others. If, if, if God has called us to bring this blessing to others, then we do. We do have to break out of these fences and move out and, uh, and say, I'm going to go in love. I'm going to go and, and, and be with those who are hurting and not separate. I mean, I'm not going to do what they do necessarily. I'm not going to endorse what they do. I'm not going to say it's okay what you do or whatever, like there's no right and wrong. We believe that the, the, the Bible is very clear of what's right and wrong. This is what I believe, what I do. But, you know, I love you and I want Jesus. I want you to know Jesus with, with all of my heart. That's what I want. You know, I, I saw this, I heard a story a while back. Uh, Jim Simbala, actually, he's the pastor of the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And it's a church that's smack in the middle of this really broken neighborhood in Brooklyn. And uh, he actually spoke at this pastor's breakfast, and he told this story that really was powerful, so powerful to me. And it was so funny, because last night I was thinking about that story, and I actually found it on YouTube, and they actually had the guy uh, that he was talking about. And I thought, oh, and I've got to show this to, to, uh, to Living Hope. And so I, I wanted you guys to just take a look at this. I think it's a good kind of closure to, to or, or, or at least a, a summation of, of what we're thinking about or what we're talking about here in terms of our freedom in Christ. So let's go ahead and, Ronald, go ahead and let it roll. Good evening, brothers and sisters. For those of you who don't know me, my name is David Ruffin. David would sleep outside the door. Right outside that door. Tell me about it. David Ruffin um, is just a wonderful man of God, but he was homeless for six years as a total alcoholic in this city. Over here, at the time, I was sleeping in an abandoned truck, uh -huh. and there were other people sleeping around me. One of the guys was at a home inside one of the trailers over here. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, that's when I leave. 